Whistleblower Report, exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report Inside Pharma with our co-host, Hedley Reese, career inside pharma expert who has been exposing the big black box of big pharma and all the secrets and lies and deceptions that have been foisted on the public, particularly even more egregiously under the COVID pandemic and the rollout of the COVID shots. And Henley has brought today an amazing guest from the UK, Michael Obernicia. And Michael has an interesting background that he's going to tell you more about. But today's show is really an explosive one, connecting the dots with the bigger picture behind the scenes of the UK and its government being the epicenter of the SARS-CoV-2 injections scam. For example, we talked last week about knowing the role of Sir Richard Sykes, former CEO of Glaxo, GlaxoSmithKline, or GSK as it's known, who led the vaccine task force that brought all of the injections to the conditional marketing authorization globally. That's the EUA in the US that we've been operating under. And then the way in which other GSK executives were part of it. And this expose has not been discussed in the media, particularly here in America, hardly at all. That's why the Whistleblower Report is bringing you our experts from the UK. Now, Michael Obernicia is, it really does have an unusual background. He's going to tell you about that. And he has been blacklisted by in his profession for speaking the truth. But he's going to give us his unique insights into the bigger picture and the role of the Rothschild family and other mega rich dynasties in the evil planning that's been going on. He has an incredible story to tell, and I really want our listeners to hear it directly from him. So, Headley, um, a few comments for our listeners about why you selected Michael to give this program today. And then let's let Michael take it away and talk about the persecution and blacklisting and his legal fight and all of the other things that have been going on over his incredible career. Yes, well, 
Michael is very well known in in in, in the UK as a, a as a legend, fighting all sorts of important causes, and, and I'm not going to interfere with his time on air here now. So let's uh, let's crack on with Michael's account of things. Um, thank you very much, both of you, for that introduction. Um, I, I, I truly am humbled. Um, thank you very much. Um, and thank you very much for inviting me on. Without any further ado, um, to to start at the beginning, 20 years ago, or rather in 2004, I was producer of eight films, four of which had A-list talent attached with budgets ranging from $15 million to $35 million. One of those films that we financed by raising equity of £120 million to make these films was my own directorial debut, a film that was that is still called Nefarious, but it still hasn't been released. Because basically what happened when I got to the brink of what everyone around me was telling me was guaranteed success in my career, when I was about to become very successful very quickly in 2004, because one of the films that I had plucked out of development hell I'd made a prediction, a very bold prediction about. And that film, I, I, after reading the screenplay, I told the writer, director and the producer that it had Oscars written all over it, that it was destined to get nominated for at least three Oscars and that it would also make at least $125 million at the box office worldwide. And those two things both came true. And that film was Bobby, the film about by Emilio Estevez about the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. Now, this when when the blacklisting took place, it took place because I was invited by a prominent member of the Bilderberg Steering Committee, who had been a prominent Bilderberger for a number of decades, um, and he was in close connection with every single bank that was invited to Bilderberg meetings. And effectively, what happened was he told me that um, he'd been told that by someone whose judgment he trusted that very soon I would become as big as Tarantino in the film industry, the, the British Tarantino, they would probably call me. But he was also saying, predicting that I could have Bono-like status in the world. Now, I've never been interested in having any other status except my own, never mind Bono-like status. But without getting into any of that, I simply said to him, uh, what, uh, why, do I, why do I sense that there's a catch, that there's a but. And he said, if a door was open for you and you walk through it, and he pointed to an oak door on the other side of the room because this was taking place in his house in Amsterdam. And he said, if a door was open for you and you walked through and closed it behind you, would you promise when you come out never to say a word about what you witness on the other side of that door? And I said to him, no, I better get me caught because that's the end of this meeting. I wouldn't agree to do that for anybody for any reason whatsoever. And from the look on his face, it was clear that no one had ever turned down that what was supposed to be a godfather offer that no one turns down. So cut a long story short, within a few weeks, all of our 120 million pounds to make our films dried up. We were told by the bank that was going to cash flow my film. We had a letter of credit from a Swiss bank for nine and a half million dollars. And every single bank in the world, including the one that had agreed in writing to cash flow, it refused. And the reason we were given is because above the board of directors level, an anonymous person had instructed all the banks that did anything relating to film finance that 
any project with my name attached in any capacity whatsoever was blacklisted. And we were told that by the bank as she pulled out of the deal that she was contracted to adhere to. And from that moment, I became persona non grata, having been lauded by critics. And, you know, everyone had always loved everything I'd done, everything had been successful in whatever chosen field. And then all of a sudden, I could not work in any of my chosen professions from stand-up comedy, which I started at, to playwriting, to screenplay writing, to directing films. I couldn't work in any of those professions because I was literally persona non grata. And so what I did was inevitably I, I rose from the ashes of my former life. I gave, I had to give myself a new professional name. My, my, my former name is Michael Knighton. And I changed that name because it had been blacklisted. And I came back as Michael of Benicia when nobody was expecting it. And I, I started making films on the outside of the system. And one of those films is a film called The Great British Mortgage Swindle, which tells the nine year story of half a dozen lay litigants in the UK who fight on the streets and in the courts, institutionalized mortgage fraud, which all of the UK banks are running. And in 2014, and this is part of the film, in 2014, at, at, at the very peak of a case that I was running for my family against Bank of Scotland, I won a historic um, judgment in the high court without legal representation. The points of law which I had drafted were taken as points of law by the high court and they were then enforceable in every single mortgage proceeding. Now, at that point, mortgage fraud in the UK, which has been rampant for decades, should have ended. But of course, they realized who it was that was doing this. We blacklisted him a long time ago. Let's do whatever we've got to do to cancel him as this new... Michael Abunicia. So that's what they set about doing. And I got literally when we got to the end of 2019, I was already the most feared lay litigant in this country. And I got told that by judges off the record and barristers who were, were telling me what they'd heard about the stories that were being told about the things that I was saying in and out of court and that I was considered to be very dangerous for one reason. I was demanding that every judge apply the law as parliament intended it to be applied, not to suit the private vested interests of what became known as the cartel. But if you're going to go into more detail, the cartel is the Rothschild cartel. The Rothschild cartel, it turns out, is not only behind Bilderberg, the organization that blacklisted me, the Rothschild cartel via the Bank of England, which it secretly controls and has done for 200 years, the Rothschild cartel has charges, i.e. mortgages or legal charges, over the assets of every single UK bank. And every single UK bank is bound under the terms of these charges to obey whatever orders the Rothschild cartel through the Bank of England give it. And what they order all the banks to do is to continue the institutionalized crimes of mortgage fraud and other financial crimes that they have been running for decades for their puppet masters in the cartel. And what I have, as well as an, a, a huge wealth of research to draw upon, because research that has taken every single available source over the past 25 years on the Rothschild cartel and all of the cartel's tentacles worldwide. And the conclusion that I have drawn 
and I'm not the only one to have drawn it. All of the best researchers on this subject, and I have to pay tribute to probably the best of the lot, Eustace Mullins. Eustace Mullins taught me so much about what really happened from 1815 when the Rothschild cartel took control in the aftermath of the Battle of Waterloo in England, or sorry, in France, but that England won. And from that moment onwards, the banks via the Rothschilds were in control of the British Empire, of Europe, of international trade, and they did it via the orchestration, the manufacture of the, the first London stock market crash, which they achieved because they managed through carrier pigeon to get the news that Wellington had won the Battle of Waterloo against Napoleon in 1815. They managed to get the news before everybody else, and Nathan Rothschild, the London boss of the Rothschilds walked into the stock exchange looking forlorn and started selling for peanuts all of his shares in 82% of world trade. And that 82% of world trade was the property and the concerns of the Vatican and the surviving royal dynasties. So what Rothschild did in one hit was take control via manufactured fraudulent debt, which was imposed upon the Vatican and upon the surviving royal um, monarchies. And the deal that was done was for the three of them to work together in return for the other two's debts being wiped out. They would work together with a plan. And that plan was total, and still is, total world domination of every single aspect of our lives and they do it through the control and manipulation of the babylonian debt-based fraudulent system and the only chance that mankind has of averting certain disaster as we've seen in the last three years alone they are going full pelt to eradicate as many people on this earth as possible. Ideally, they'd like to bring us down to a more manageable number of 500,000, it's been said. But what is certain and what leads us to the legal action that I started taking in 2020 with a number of others is that what I was asking for just before COVID started from the UK government, from the UK government's Treasury Select Committee. I was asking for a moratorium on all mortgage possession claims pending our class action phone on behalf of every UK mortgagor to get every single fraudulently registered mortgage cancelled by the land registry and for them all to get paid compensation for all the losses that they've incurred because of those fraudulent charges. Now, we didn't get formally, we didn't formally get the moratorium but when COVID was declared, when the pandemic was declared, they'd also declared that there'd be no more mortgage possession claims going forward to eviction until further notice. Now, what this did is it guaranteed that I wouldn't have a captive audience during COVID to tell about what was going on in the fraudulent mortgage industry and in the rigged court system. But what I had instead was all the time I needed to do research on what was being unfolded from January 2020 that, to be quite honest, most people haven't even heard of, never mind read themselves. And I, I, effectively, I was speaking out 
about what was an obvious pandemic fraud from March the 3rd. It was obvious that it was a fraud by within six weeks we'd amassed enough evidence to convince me and the legal team that I was working with, and they're not legal professionals. These are people who've learned the hard way. They've dived in at the deep end uh, uh, and they've been litigants in person and they're grizzled through their experiences, but they're knowledgeable through their own research. And what I'm, attra- what, what I'm coming around to is letting you know that when I was approached to write a case against the UK government in early 2020, I jumped at the chance because we were already amassing evidence against them. And when we completed the first draft of the case, it by December 2020, we had enough evidence to apply to Westminster Magistrates Court for an arrest warrant to arrest the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, Matt Hancock. And what happened then? That was when we saw the system put the shutters up and they dismissed the first version of the case as totally without merit and they wouldn't let it go forward to a jury. So that's the first part of what happened, which brought me to the masses, the bundles of evidence that we have that prove beyond reasonable doubt that the UK government, in association with the big pharma and City of London stakeholders, have been engaged in mass murder by government policy using killer vaccines and a drug called midazolam to kill people in care homes and hospital wards and hospices and to pretend it was all down to the fake pandemic, which has never been proven to exist with an isolated or purified sample. You know, Michael, this is um, and absolutely tracking with what we've been seeing in the United States as well, because I've personally, as a physician and CEO of Truth for Health Foundation and our um, hospital rescue medical team, we've been seeing exactly the same death protocols being used in the U.S. called the COVID protocol, but it's the, I call it the COVID death protocol. And, you know, I go back to the 90s when this midazolam and morphine or now fentanyl are, were used as the Liverpool protocol in England, killing people in hospitals to get them off the NHS rolls. That was exposed in the 1990s, and that led into Ezekiel Emanuel in the U.S., and his complete live system that he published in 1999 and again in 2009. And he was the architect of the Obamacare healthcare takeover in the U.S. that essentially put the government in control of healthcare here. And his complete live system was to begin to eliminate people over 50 because they'd had a complete life and to withhold medical care from those under age 15 or those disabled because they had not yet had a complete life and they were a burden on the system. I mean, truly evil agendas. So there's, there is a lot of link between what you're describing in the UK and what we've been fighting here as well. And the American public doesn't have a clue it's going on maybe thanks to your efforts in the UK, more people are waking up to what they're doing in the NHS. 
Well, you're you're absolutely right. There there are um, synergies and correlations all over the place, um, wherever you look, almost wherever you look in the world. Um, and what what we discovered to our horror was um, in the, the this was probably the first time in many years that I've been surprised by um, a, a sequence of events. And I sh- the things that I know about what they've already done and what they were planning to do, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was. Um, in 2020, late, 20, late summer 2020, um, early autumn, I was sent uh, by an intermediary of a WHO whistleblower. I was sent uh, a safety report on the Flusilvax vaccines in, from, from 2019. Now, the recommendation from the WHO was that they were recommended for every country and that they had pretty much the same breakdown in in the safety studies as every other WHO approved vaccine. That's what they stated with nothing else. That was the first thing that made me very suspicious. And then when I looked and uh, the, 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 the data analyst I was working with at the time, we both had a good hard look at it. And it was it was more than obvious what we were looking at there was a mortality rate for the flu vaccines that they were pushing harder than ever in the UK and probably elsewhere during the whole of COVID, trying to get people to get that vax just as much as they were for the COVID vax. And they knew that there was a mortality rate of 3.77%. They knew that. If we, among healthy people who didn't have morbidity comorbidities you know that's a a staggeringly high percentage of death for the (laughs) the simple flu vaccine and they've been pushing that for people to get the flu vaccine in the u.s on top of the covid shot that's already causing damage and death yes that's right that's right and um there were also people who left the cohort so there, were, there was room for error within it because they didn't explain why numerous people had left um, the, the study. Um, but the obvious uh, assumption to make is that they, they weren't very happy about what was happening to their bodies. And um, so we put, we put what we'd seen in the safety study to the test. We predicted how many people would die of the next round of flu shots in the UK using this safety study as the basis for the prediction. And we predicted with 98% accuracy how many people were going to die within the first six weeks of having the shots. And I was so shocked by discovering that this is mathematical. They know this is happening. They're not only not doing anything about it. This is what they're promoting aggressively. And then when they started, you know, uh, literally the, the, the UK government is during 2019, 20, 21, 22 and 23, they have issued repeated denotices to the media and publishing industries telling them that they'll be arrested if they publish anything relating to certain subjects. So the subjects that are censored from public view are anything that's denigrating the efficacy of the vaxxers, any vaxxers, doesn't matter which one, and anything that, that, that is criticizing government policy in the Ukraine and the proxy war. But rather than getting into that, this is how bad it is. So every single time a broadcaster was brave enough to allow 
a big pharma whistleblower like Headley to talk about the, 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 the deadly jabs and what they were actually doing to people and that the risks were well known, all of a sudden that broadcaster is threatened with being put out of business. And th this is happening in the UK to such an extent that now, literally, you've got to look at all the people who aren't being allowed to speak to know who you should be listening to, because there's so much noise from so many people and many of them are compromised because of what they did over the last three years. And they're pretending that they didn't. And we have been there from the beginning and we have seen a refusal of the majority of people to accept that in the UK and the rest of the world, there is a WHO imposed government policy which has been sent down from the WHO executive board, of which Chris Whitty is a member and has been since January the 1st, 2020. And that the policy that they have is rigid and it's to maximize vaccination uptake or immunization uptake worldwide. And they want to immunize people against every conceivable illness that they can invent and concoct. And when people know that... It was that the WHO did not actually declare or rather start the process of the declaration of the pandemic. Everyone blames the WHO, but it wasn't the WHO that started it. It was Public Health England under the purported authority of Matt Hancock, the Secretary of State. And what he did was he facilitated everything that happened next. And I dare say no one really knows that piece of information that you've just exposed and, and the role of the, the, the whole Bilderberger group and the Rothschilds behind it all. Yes, exactly. And, and certainly I think people in America have very little understanding of these critical connections that you're bringing to light. And that's why every now and then I, I, I add how it ties in with what Americans have been going through because people have never seen anything like this in our hospitals. I mean, we have not had this kind of scandal. Like I, I know the NHS has had scandals about accelerated death and lack of fluid and nutrition going back 30 years that I'm aware of from my career. And that's not been the case in the U.S. And suddenly under COVID, all of these same things were happening, withholding fluid, withholding food, over medicating with narcotics and benzodiazepines, midazolam, that is contraindicated when you have respiratory compromise and withholding proper treatment, giving them toxic remdesivir, causing kidney damage, and then the midazolam and morphine decrease their respiration. Oh, by the way, your oxygen sats have dropped. So therefore we got to put you on a ventilator and then they run it at high flow oxygen and high pressure. That's toxic and damaging to the lungs. Bingo. You've got another death and then you've got a big COVID payment all the way around. Americans have not seen this before, Michael, and you're bringing up some critical connections. We got to take a short break and we'll be right back after the break. This is Dr. Lee for America. Stay tuned to the second half, everybody. You're not going to want to miss this. And we will have it archived on our website, www.truthforhealth.org. You will have an article 
on Inside Pharma from Headley Reese. And you'll see the column on AmericaOutloud.com. Lots of resources to follow up on all this information. And we'll definitely have Michael back for further discussion of all of the evil behind the scenes. This is Dr. Lee for America. We'll be right back. This message is from the Truth for Health Foundation. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Sigloff, a family medicine physician and a major in the U.S. Army. The following are only my opinions. Service members are being coerced to participate in medical experimentation, with over 7,500 service members being discharged for refusing to participate. Many of them have lost their retirement and medical benefits. There are allegations that the DOD is committing medical fraud, violating the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and violating the constitutional rights of service members. Strong men and women stand ready to defend so that you can sleep peacefully through the night. Now we must stand watch over the military so they can sleep peacefully through the night. Please get involved to help protect the military. This message brought to you by the Truth For Health Foundation. For more information, please visit truthforhealth.org. That is truthforhealth.org. Truth, the word for, health.org. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America with my co-host, Headley Reese, Inside Pharma Report, exposing the big black box of what is going on in secret in Big Pharma and how does Big Pharma and the UK government and the Rothschild cartel work to influence your health and what medicines you get, including the push for all these vaccinations that are now being more and more contaminated and gene-altering therapies being used. And how does this affect your life and health? Whether you live in America or the UK, all of this, or any other country, all of this is affecting humanity around the globe. And it is an agenda to reduce the Earth's population to what the elites have arbitrarily decided playing God is the right number in their mind, not God's plan for the universe and the planet and our lives. So, Michael, Michael, go ahead with all that you were exposing. I mean, you're a wealth of information, and we desperately need to get this out over on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. Well, I, th- I think that um, to, to finish off what we were discussing, and I, I echo everything that you're saying about what's, what's going on here is going on over there and everywhere else, pretty much. And um, just to, to emphasize how organized this is, it was government policy throughout the fake pandemic in the UK for doctors to prescribe anybody should be placed on the end-of-life pathway if they suspected, not proved, if they suspected that someone might in the future catch COVID and die. During the first month of the lockdown here, they, they placed an estimated, well, put it this way, the, the, the nearest estimate that I've got that's, that carries the most water is at least 100,000 people were murdered with midazolam and morphine in the care homes and in the hospices and and the hospitals. But mainly they were murdered by shunting them all into the care homes. And these were people of any demographic. I mean, imagine that there were kids 
that they murdered because they had mental health conditions. They, they, they gave them midazolam because they put them on the end of life pathway. And we've also we uncovered all of the government documents which prove that the UK government was engaged in a deliberate policy of placing a, a, a target of 666,000 people, I kid you not, each year on the end of life pathway and taking them to death. That is a criminal offence called murder in this country because euthanasia has never been decriminalised, nor should it ever be anywhere. It's always murder, no matter what a statute book says. And in this country, as soon as we found out that we had enough murder to go after the government in a criminal court for mass murder by government policy, we issued our second set of proceedings in the criminal court. And this time we really thought that, we, that, that, that no matter which judge we had to deal with before it went before a jury, the evidence was so astonishingly shocking. And we had so many witness statements from expert witnesses who were all agreeing to every one of the allegations that we were making in the case. And the judge dismissed all of that expert testimony as hearsay, which, of course, is laughable. Expert testimony cannot be hearsay at law. So it was a complete sham. Uh, we, we obviously didn't give up. We issued a, 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 a third version of the case, this time again, not just against Matt Hancock, Chris Whitty, um, Ferguson from Imperial College, and Valence, former GSK president. Those were the four who we picked to focus on to, to basically take them down and then take everyone connected with them down because those four are intimately linked with the Gates Foundation and the Gates Foundation and Bill Gates are central to this. The Gates Foundation has funded a campaign that turned into government policy everywhere to maximize vaccination uptake everywhere, but for one specific purpose, genocide to take out as many Americans, as many British, as many Europeans, as many Chinese, as many Russians, as many Ukrainians as possible. And they're using just about any method under the sun to do it. And because most people are decent people, they don't believe the evil that these people are capable of. They don't believe that anyone could do these atrocious acts, but they are. And they're doing it at a rapid pace that is increasing every single day. Currently, we have no legitimate government in the US. We have no legitimate government in the UK. We have no legitimate government in the European Union. What are the people waiting for? Well, that's a good question. And, and I see more resistance and more people standing up in the UK and Europe than I see happening here in the US, where, where Americans have always had a fighting spirit against tyranny. And it's like we've become a nation of sheep. You know what? I hope that's not the case. I understand why you say that. And I'm not saying that you're wrong. I would only add that there is another possibility. And that possibility is, and I said this at the time, that I believed making Trump into the supposed savior, as they did, that made a lot of people who would have otherwise put up stern resistance think that Trump had it all in hand and Q had it all in hand, but that was all a psyop to get good people to do nothing. That's my opinion on the subject. Well, I, I think I think you're right on that. Um, but I will say this from my perspective, 
watching this and being very involved in the Obamacare fight and to stop government takeover of medicine then, which goes back to 2008, 2009, and then coming forward and being very involved in the campaign to stop Hillary Clinton from her plans to bring in Hillary Care, which was worse than Obamacare, and helping on the, the Trump initial campaign. What, what I see now in the US is that this indictment of President Trump is so outrageous, so egregious, and so in violation of US law that it's actually likely to backfire on the shadow government behind the Biden administration, who are all Marxists for the most part, and tied to China. So I think, I think they have overreached. I think this indictment's going to backfire. I think it's rallying the American people who are outraged by the two-tier justice system because there was enough expose of the crimes of Hillary Clinton that people were, uh, were very aware of what was going on there. And my, my observation as an outsider with no specific inside information is that Trump is such a brilliant 5, 5D chess player. He's, got, he's so far ahead of everyone else on a lot of these kinds of strategy and strategic decisions. My, my sense is that his legal team will use this court case and the discovery process and the charges to bring in documents that will expose all of it to the American people in a way that has not happened before this, and very few have the clout to do. Well, I, I, I take your point and I understand why you're making it, but uh, just so we don't get um, segued, segued into talking too much about Trump, I absolutely agree with you that he's it's a fit up and they even know who fitted him up. Um, Mike Pompey is up to his neck in it. Yes. Um, obviously, uh, the Biden crime family, it goes without saying that, that they've orchestrated this and that can be proven with actual documents, which I've even had, had sight of this early on. And uh, the fact is that the only way that they could stop Trump continuing to refuse to do the to, to adhere to the policy of the military industrial complex and continue waging war in the Middle East or and elsewhere, because he refused to do that, they've persecuted him. And because Biden was so scared that he was going to end up in prison or worse, if Trump gets back in the White House, and let's let's be fair, there are many people worldwide who are demanding that that should happen. Such are the crimes that him and his and his son are getting away with scot-free. You can't you simply unless you're a banana republic, you cannot arrest your political opponents for doing nothing that you weren't doing. But. He was doing it innocently. You weren't. That's exactly the situation as I understand it. But worse than that, what you've got is a situation where Rothschild, it, it, Rothschild money put the Biden crime family into power. Rothschild money protects it, just like Rothschild money put the WAF with Prince Charles at the front together. 
all those decades ago to get as many young, ambitious politicians and wannabe leaders in there as possible to indoctrinate them with the programme. And the programme is they are the self-appointed elite and their job is to cull the herd in the most humanitarian way possible, meaning don't let them know that you're doing it, just make up a whole load of shit and get them to believe it. And then you'll get away with anything. Now, I want to come back to how this all, how my path started, because three days after 9-11, I was looking for a different explanation to the official narrative, because everything that we're talking about is totally linked to what happened on 9-11 in New York and elsewhere. And three days after, after the event, having not been able to find anyone to have a sensible discussion with it, I went online and I ended up in a chat room and I ended up talking to the ex-wife of Kissinger's right-hand man, who is my Bilderberg insider. And she told me, before I even came across Bilderberg, she told me everything that I needed to know. And um, what she said was that Kissinger, and this is corroborated with evidence that I went, went and found myself, Kissinger in 1973, put a, when he was probably the most powerful politician in the world, bar none, he, in the Nixon administration, he put together a plan to cull the world of, who, of the people he called the useless eaters. And they came up through his work with Maurice Strong and others connected with the United Nations, which, of course, was set up with Rothschild money all those years ago, following the League of Nations, which was also tried with Rothschild money. And Kissinger was also considered to be the right-hand man of whichever Lord Rothschild was in power. And that's why Kissinger is by some considered to be the most powerful man in the world, such as being his influence over the head of the cartel. Now, that's the only explanation why Kissinger is wanted for war crimes on three continents and he's never been arrested when he flies there. That's the only possible explanation, that he is that powerful, but he has the protection of the cartel. Now, what my Bilderberg insider told me is that in, in the summer of 1998, her husband was away on business with Kissinger. And when he came back, she told him that she had heard the most awful rumors again and again from her friends. And literally, she was hearing it every single day. And that rumor was in 98, they were already planning the 9-11 event. And it was to bring about Kissinger's plan to get rid of the useless eaters. And it would be great for business. That's what they were all laughing about among the billionaires clubs on the east and west coast in the US. And this is what she said. And she was part of that. So she waits for her husband to come through the door. He, he's got diplomatic immunity. He's a, he's a US governor with diplomatic immunity and Kissinger's right hand man. And he comes through the door and she immediately says they're planning an event it's going to kill a lot of people. It's probably going to be in New York. I've got to tell my friend at the Washington Post. She knew the editor there at the time. And he looked at her and she said to me in that moment, she knew that he was going to arrange to have her killed or try. And she tried to believe that, you know, it wasn't the case for a while and they stayed together for a while. But he told her in no uncertain terms, do not do that because it would upset too many very powerful people. Now, cut a long story short, he takes her on what's supposed to be a second honeymoon that summer. They go to Africa on safari. And he get, it's, it, the first three days, she was almost believing him. But after three days, he said, look, I've got a breakfast meeting in the morning. So I'll meet you at the U.S. Embassy in Nairobi um, at a certain time. 
And this is a man who'd never been late in all of their relationship, but not, not even for a few seconds. He's always punctual. And she, she went to meet him at the embassy. They were going to go for lunch outside of, of Nairobi. But when the clock got to the time when he was due to turn up, she said, in that moment, I knew I was in trouble. And the next moment she knew she'd been blown out of the building and into the street. It was when they, they say, the CIA, MI6 and some private mercenaries, they bombed the U.S., embassy in Nairobi to blame it on bin Laden. The first, that was the first one they blamed on bin Laden, uh, who was obviously a CIA asset. Now, sh basically, she was pulled out of the rubble and nursed back to health by an ex-SAS officer who had turned private mercenary and he turned down that job at the embassy because he knew that real people would be killed, in his words, and he didn't like that. So the guilt of knowing about it made him go down to the scene to see if he could save anyone, and he saved her. Cut a long story short, they ended up having uh, a relationship where they told each other all of their secrets, and she told all of their secrets to only one person in the world, and that was me when we're having these discussions. That ex-SAS officer had this to say about 9-11, and this, they, they knew about it way before because he was recruited as one of the organisers to employ the patsies and train them to do and, and, and to set the other operatives up. They were all offered a million dollars up front, which were paid through a fake Indian trade deal for tea. And that trade deal was set up by a Lebanese businessman to, to launder the funds that they were going to pay everybody with in the black op. And that Lebanese businessman is a well-known protected person by Lord Rothschild and has been for a very long time. Now, so when she asked him categorically, are you telling me, because I've heard the same thing, that because it's Kissinger, that Rothschild is the one who has commissioned it all? And he said, yes. Rothschild orchestrated the whole thing via this Lebanese businessman and an ex-SAS man who has no name. No one will say who he is. I have reason to believe he's dead now. I don't know how, but, um, you know, I, I, I can't prove it. But I do know that shortly after she disclosed all of these things to me, she was contacted by um, an MI, MI6 officer via the other ex-SAS guy. Um, and they told us all that if the three of us continu continued communicating, then there'd be bullets through each of our heads. But in the last conversation I had with the Bilderberg Insider, she told me that they were planning a COVID-style pandemic. She even said that they were planning, years before it happened, to blow up Edgware Road tube station in London, which they did in 2005, along with, you know, there were other events there. This was all pre-planned because they were creating enemies to scare the people, invisible enemies who don't really exist. But the carnage caused by their wrongdoings, that very much exists. It's just staggering information, Michael. Um, is this Bilderberger insider still alive, as far as you know, or? As far, okay, so this, this is how, it, how our relationship ended, shall we say, even though in our hearts, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure she smiles every time she thinks of those conversations because of what I've done with the information. She asked me, to go away and research every aspect of it. Uh, she knew I was a filmmaker and a writer, and, and she said, look, when you've researched everything that I'm telling you, and then you'll know for yourself, then 
you can tell my story. And I've been telling a story for a number of years and it shocks everybody, but it never catches on because the mainstream has got me just as blacklisted as they ever had. And basically she said to me that she was going to a place where no one would find her, where she was planning to live happily ever after. And she said the only thing that would that would make her as happy as she could be, given that she had to reinvent herself just to survive and to keep her kids alive. She said the only thing that, that she required was for me to promise to, to do what I said I would do. And I have done that. And that's what you see. They knew. Bilderberg knew because MI5 were listening, as were MI6 and the CIA and Mossad, to every conversation I was having with her. She was told that by the MI6 operative. And basically, this what this means is that they knew everything that she told me. So they were waiting to see what I was going to do with that information. So they put me under permanent surveillance just after I started talking to her. And this was confirmed several times by several different people. And, you know, in, in recent years, I've even become friendly and uh, I work with on uh, a very intense level fighting mortgage fraud with um, a, a man who used to be head of British intelligence. And um, through his observations, what we've seen is that there was a certain period in time around about 20 years ago when they kicked up a gear in the crimes that they're committing against the people. And they, they could not have done it without the facilitation of the banksters, the Rothschild cartel. And the Rothschild cartel control every central bank via the Bank of International Settlements in Basel, which they are in sole control of. The Bank of International Settlements has an agreement with the Swiss government because it's based in Basel. The, and, and this settlement agreement, I believe they call it, it states that the Rothschild cartel, it, it, but they're acting as Bank of, uh, Bank of International Settlements, and all of the bank's members are immune from civil proceedings and criminal prosecutions from anywhere in the world. And the Swiss government signed it off. Now, the funny thing is, there isn't a court on this earth that would rule that that agreement is enforceable because nobody can be protected from the consequences of their wrongdoings, of their crimes. Nobody, including them, but no one's ever tested it, you see, because the, the cartel are preventing the directors of every cartel bank and that's all the UK banks currently, um, and probably all the Americans as well. In fact, definitely, they're protecting the directors of every one of their protected banks from the consequences of a myriad of fraud and money laundering offences worldwide. They are working with the worst of all criminals, and the worst of all criminals now tend to wear a white collar. And the way that they control governments is because they use their finance to fund the non-government organizations which propel all of the fake narratives into existence and they perpetuate them by just repeating them endlessly. And then the media does the same along with every government trotting out the same lines. This never used to happen. There used to be a difference of opinion in parliament. Now, parliament doesn't even debate important issues a minister announces what the government's going to do there's a few questions 
There's a little bit of argy-bargy between the parties, but everything happens how the government states it's going to happen. Why is this? Because it's all pre-written. There are, uh, the, the UK government, led by Rishi Sunak, allegedly, is nothing but a WEF puppet government, and they are serving nothing but the agenda of sustainable development, it necessarily including mm, the... the, the maximization of vaccination uptake and what a coincidence that Sunak happens to be through his former company Thaleem Partners the primary investor invested over $600,000 in Moderna as a startup to develop our mRNA technology in partnership with AstraZeneca and Oxford University and then he became an MP as if he didn't have a conflict of interests. And he has bought more Moderna jabs than he and committed to buy more Moderna jabs than, any, than he has any other of the vaxxers. And he guarantees that his business associates and no doubt himself are making a fortune from those killer jabs. And he's made himself immune from prosecution. Sound a bit well, like that? We're seeing, yes, very much so. We're seeing that in the US with, with the, the Biden administration, with the Department of Defense, the courts are not ruling on the point of law in all these lawsuits that I know I've been involved in helping to facilitate many of them. Our foundation has provided a lot of legal defense grants. And the courts just simply are dismissing the case as much as you've experienced. It's, it's truly a staggering assault. The churches are participating in yes. the government messaging. Medicine, big law firms are not taking cases because it goes against the government narrative. We've got schools, universities, every institution in the United States, and it looks like UK and Europe, has been corrupted and bought with these incentive payments from our governments, as you correctly pointed out, illegitimate governments in the US, UK, EU, yep. and look at Canada, Australia, New Zealand, all of the major Western civilizations and highly vaccinated countries are facing exactly the same problems. Yes, and we haven't even mentioned the fertility crisis. Yes, Michael, let's you and Headley and I um, record another segment on that. And I actually, I'm going to send you, if you don't already have it, um, Kissinger's confidential document from 1974 on the population, the depopulation proposal. Fantastic. Yes, I, I've, I've read it, but I don't have a copy currently. So that would be most appreciated. I, I will send that to you because I think we do need to talk about all of that. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got a lot of information on the fertility issues medically and data from, from our experts, Dr. Eden and Dr. Guilford. And I, I think we need to bring in what you can add to it. So I want to thank you. I mean, there aren't words to thank you for the courage and the risk that you take in bringing truth to the public. We will do our best to give you a platform over here on this side of the Atlantic 
and help more people benefit from all that you have researched and all that you've dedicated your efforts to. I want to thank Headley for bringing you to the Inside Pharma report because clearly Big Pharma has a big role in all of this. And the, we know the Gates has, has his tentacles in all of it as well. So you've been connecting the dots in some critical ways that our American audience and audience in other countries need to know. Thank you very much for being with us today. And thank you, Headley, for your courage in bringing out the truth about the black box of big pharma. This is Dr. Lee for America, and we will be back next week with another Inside Pharma report. And Michael will be back with us, and we are going to continue to bring the truth against the lies and deception. We all are here for such a time as this. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org. Sign up for our alerts. Join our crusade. We are silent no more. Speak out. Remaining silent in the face of evil is itself evil. We'll see you next week.